I do want to welcome you. And um, I guess I just want to just, I'm meant to open up in prayer of Karakia. So could we just do that very quickly and we'll make a start and I'll, I will probably just hand it back to you. So Father, we just want to thank you again for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to meet with our um, clinicians and talk about and share about pathways of awareness in the area of cancer. We thank you for bringing Dr. Perlini tonight. And I know that as she shares her heart about um, the area of work that she's been called to, I pray that um, it will be able to help those listeners uh, who are joining us this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Roz. Um, everyone. Um, really excited to be part of tonight and Aloha Wholeness Salador sessions. Um, I think I just want to say a big thank you to Roz. Thank you for the work that you do and for setting up Aloha Wholeness. I think you saw a gap, you saw a need, and you stepped up to the call. Um, and so I, um, it's been a privilege to get to know you, and it's a real honor to be here tonight. Thank you. Um, we'll move on to the first slide, Roz. Yep. Um, and so I'll start with a little bit about myself. Um, who am I? And um, you will see a very flattering photo come up of me and my family. Um, I'm Samoan. Uh, as you can see, I'm pretty fair. Um, and so in Afghasi, my mum is a New Zealand European. My dad comes from the villages Fasitotai and Tuamua. Uh, but we grew up in Malua, as he was the um, principal of Malua Theological College for a number of years. Um, and I think you can you can definitely tell from the photo that we grew up in Samoa with our with our lovely styles. Um, we grew up in church, and I think faith is still a big part of my life and who I am today. I'm the youngest of three girls, um, and actually both my sisters have also gone into medicine um, ahead of me. Um, I'm now a wife and a mum, and that's my family on the side. That's my husband, Hemi, um, and my son, Hiwawa, who's currently being bribed in the living room, so hopefully we won't hear too much from him tonight. Um, and I'm a doctor currently training in medical oncology here in Auckland. In terms of how I got here, uh, I did my studies in Samoa and then moved across for university. Um, I was pretty good at science and, and for most of us in Samoa, if you're good at science, you either end up in engineering or medicine and I thought uh, medicine sounded more like me and I kind of knew what it was about, so ended up going for it. I moved to Otago University um, and didn't get into medicine the first time, so actually ended up doing a degree down there. I reapplied uh, three years later and managed to get a spot up in Auckland, in Auckland Medical School and moved up. and. Did my training here. Since graduating I've worked mainly in Auckland around the three DHBs um, but I also moved home for two years and worked in the medical ward which was quite um, a different experience to what we do here. And then when I came back I did a three-month rotation in medical oncology and that's really where um, I realized my heart was. I really enjoyed the specialty. I really enjoyed the people I met along the way. I think um, you know, cancer, a cancer diagnosis is usually a life-changing experience and thing for people to go through. And it's it's quite a um, privileged position to be in, to be able to walk through part of that journey with someone and to help treat um, a, a cancer in that way. Um, 
I think it's also a rapidly evolving field. Things are changing. It's quite exciting. We're getting a lot of research. And I guess one of the things one of my bosses said to me, which I always remember, is he said, you know, we don't want to be we don't want to be treating someone the same way we are today. You know, five years from now, we want to be doing better. Ten years from now, we want to be doing way better and um, improving people's outcomes. And that's really stuck with me. I think one of the things I've seen a lot and which has been really hard is, is when people present with advanced disease um, and present late and you just you feel like there's a missed opportunity there. There's a missed opportunity to um, for curative treatment to, to reverse that, that story. Um, and I see it a lot with our Māori and Pacific patients and I think that's um, it brings up the importance of awareness and early recognition of cancer. Um, so I guess just moving on and we'll flip to the next slide, Roz. Um, what do we mean by cancer? What is cancer? What is oncology? I get asked it a lot, you know. We say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a medical oncology registrar. And people say, what does that even mean? Um, cancer comes from the Latin word crab, which is why I've got that up there. And it was Hippocrates who first coined the term. And um, he coined it because tumors looked a bit like a crab kind of they have the finger-like projections coming out and so that's where that name came from and oncology is greek and it comes from onco which means a swelling or a mass um, and logi which is the study so study of masses or tumors cancer uh, is abnormal cells which grow uncontrollably and they can spread anywhere in the body they can also develop anywhere in the body, and that's why we have different cancers. You know, there's over 200 different types of cancer, both blood cancers and also solid tumour cancers, which is what I, I deal with. Um, cancer cells develop, so our, our bodies are constantly making new cells. Their cells are constantly dying. And in the process, you can develop these changes in genes, um, and, and that can lead to cancer. And changes are caused by lots of different factors. So there's genetic changes, and that's when you know you hear about maybe cancers being in families because there's a gene that's passed down. There's environmental changes, you know, um, the workplaces we're in, what we're exposed to. There's lifestyle changes, what we what we do in our life, what we feed our bodies, those kind of things. And for many times, we actually don't know the cause, and I think that's something that we're learning more and more. Um, I think each cancer behaves quite differently, and I think that's important to know. There are some cancers which behave very slowly, they're slow growing, and there are others which are way more, a lot more aggressive or they, they grow faster. Um, and cancer really spreads either through the bloodstream, and that's how it comes in different places, or it spreads through our lymphatic system, and that's through lymph nodes in different areas in the body. One thing which I often get asked a lot is what stage is my cancer? Um, and stages is kind of a, a way we classify cancers to help us guide treatment. And so earlier stages are usually curative. So one, there's four stages in total. One to three is usually a curative treatment. It means we can try and get rid of it. Um, and then stage four is when it's actually moved elsewhere in the body. And that's when you're often in a place where it's, it's harder to cure and where it's about controlling it. Um, just going to the next slide, Roz. So how do we treat cancer? Um, I, I do apologize, this is a very medical focused um, mm. presentation. Wow. And I think there's, there's a lot of um, other factors here. 
can I just just say I've already uh, I've told people that are listening in. I have fixed the issue now, so I'm not hearing voices. Hallelujah. Good, we're not hearing. <laughs> uh, but if you do have any questions and you're out there, you know, feel free because, as I said, Dr. Perilini is a doctor and she is giving clini clinical terminology. And for those of us who have walked through this, may recognize some of the terms, like the different stages. But if you're a family member with a family member, or if you're sitting there and you are listening in, what I forgot to mention earlier on was that this whole program is about awareness. So don't, you know, no question's a dumb question. Uh, if you have any, you know, it's not every day that you have a, a, a clinician who is very open to um, and ready to share. So that's all I wanted to say. Back to you, Doc. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess just moving on to kind of the treatment. You know, for most cancers, the best treatment is to get rid of it, to cut it out, and that's where surgery comes in. Um, the other things we use are radiation treatments, and that's using X-rays to target the tumor, target a particular area of the cancer. Both surgery and radiation, as you know, is local treatment, so it just acts on the area that they're operating on or putting the beams on. My, um, my area is medical oncology, and we basically give cancer medicines to try and treat cancer. And so you'll, you might hear this word systemic, we use it a lot. It means that it, it affects the whole body. We give drugs or medicines that are gonna have an impact on the whole body. And I think the um, thing to say is that there are lots of different kinds of cancer medicines. There's a big one that everyone knows and has a really bad rep, and that's the big C word, chemotherapy. Um, and yes, we still use a lot of chemotherapy. It's been around for the longest now. Um, it's got a bad rep because it's toxic treatment and it comes with toxic side effects. Um, and so really our job is to try and basically give toxic treatment to kill off cancer cells, but to be safe and to keep someone safe during it. We've gotten a bit smarter along the years and we also have new medicines um, which have come into the um, pipeline. One big one is immune therapy which is treatment that kind of turns on your own immune system to fight the cancer. Um, and so our, our immune system, is a, that's what we, um, that's what fights infections. Um, our immune system is very good at targeting something that's not you and destroying it, killing it, kills foreign bodies. What tumor cells or cancer has been able to do is switch that off and almost become invisible. And so what immune therapy does is that open it, kind of opens the eyes of your immune system to actually see the cancer and fight it. Um, the other big change has been around uh, what we call targeted therapy. And that's, that's um, when we know that there's been a change in a gene, a mutation we call it, we can often target that specific gene and that change with a medicine. And so things are rapidly changing um, and we're moving away. We still do a lot of chemo, but we're also got other tools um, that we use. I thought I'd just mention a few other um, terms which people might hear, um, which we often throw around. One is neoadjuvant, and essentially that means treatment before surgery. So giving medicine to try and shrink cancer before you have surgery. I think I'm just, I think, I think I'm sort of like, your sound is going a bit funny. Oh, is it? Yeah, Sorry. So to, that, that last sentence, that neo... Neo-adjuvant? Yeah, so that... Yeah. 
We are talking right now, it's nice and clear. Okay, sorry. Um, so neoadjuvant treatment is essentially cancer medicine given before surgery to try and reduce the tumor. And then you might hear the phrase adjuvant and that's treatment given after surgery. And it's really given to try and improve your chances that the cancer won't come back. So that's the role of it. Um, and then the, the last kind of thing you'll hear is, is a palliative treatment, meaning treatment that we use to try and control the cancer for as long as possible. Um, and so just moving on um, to the next slide. So what's, what's the burden of cancer in Aotearoa? Uh, 25,000, about 25,000 people in Aotearoa are diagnosed with cancer every year. And sadly, about 9,000 um, people die of their cancer every year. So this is a big problem. Um, the most commonly diagnosed cancers are breast, lung, prostate, and bowel cancers. Um, and I think the big thing to say is that there are inequities seen in, in cancer treatment and in the outcomes for people. Māori are approximately 20% more likely to develop cancer than non-Māori, and they're twice as likely to die from their cancer, which is massive. Um, this is, these graphs are from the latest Te Ahotakahu, our cancer um, agency, cancer control agency report, which was updated in 2021. And so these are the incident or the rates of cancer and also the rates of death from cancer in Māori people in, in New Zealand. And I think the biggest thing that you can see there is lung, and that's that's huge for Māori, Māori people. And so Māori have higher rates of lung cancer compared with non-Māori, and sadly die from their lung cancer at a much higher rate. But if you look on that right um, graph there, you can see across the board, apart from bowel cancer, um, Māori have worse outcomes for cancers than non-Māori. If we look at Pacific people, which is just on the next slide, Ros, um, Pacific people also experience um, inequity here in New Zealand. So we experience higher rates of um, higher rates and mortality. So, so more people dying of cancer for a range of cancers compared with non-Pacific. And there's a, the big one, I think, for us is uterine cancer. And I'm really glad to hear that we're having a Talanoa session coming up um, yeah. this month about uterine or womb, you know, cancer of the womb, because this affects our women much more um, here in New Zealand. If I'm looking at that, Doctor, sorry to interrupt, mm. because I no. know I, I, I appreciate, um, you know, the information that you're giving and, and you're saying, and you did mention the uterine. So just for the listeners, uh, not next Wednesday, but the 20th is when I'll be uh, interviewing the head of the Pacific Project, which is targeting uterine cancer. So this is for women, our young women. Uh, I'm not sure what the age is for that and what you're seeing. If you have any info on that, um, Olivia, around the ages that's starting? Not at hand um, right now, but for most, I think it's most are young women. We yeah. have a lot of young women who are diagnosed. Yeah, and, and, and that's sort of, and from what I've heard, it's... Um, New Zealand or sorry, Pacifica women are the highest? Yeah, yeah, we've got the highest rates of uterine cancer. Okay. And I will touch on that in a wee bit, but um, mm. one of the 
one of the feelings is that there's a really strong link between um, uh, weight um, and uterine cancer. And I think that is one of the big drivers um, which is which is leading towards um, more of our Pacific women being diagnosed with uterine cancer. Um, and so I guess um, just looking at that, so the incidence is on the left and the mortality is on the right. And so the incidence are the rates of cancer, so breast, prostate, lung, and uterine, those are the biggies for our people. And then if you look at what, what are people dying of, it's lung, again, big, breast. Lung um, and breast. Yeah, they're, they're the, the big ones. Um, so this is, you know, this is why we need to make changes. This is why we need to do better. Um, you know, this is... That's why I'm having this program. Absolutely. We should not be seeing this. Um, and my hope is that in the next 10 to 20 years, we won't be seeing this. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what, what can we do about this? What are some things that we can do? What can we ask our government to do? Um, just moving on to the next slide. Mm -hmm. 30 to 50% of these cancers are actually preventable. Okay. Um, why, did you put, no... why did you put the be supple there, Alaya? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's a number of risk factors which have been identified that can increase our risk of cancer. And while many of these are lifestyle factors, they're also environmental factors. So where we live, what we're exposed to, where we work. Um, and so, you know, big ones that we know about, tobacco smoking. So smoking, huge risk. And not only for lung cancer, it also puts you at risk for kind of oral cancers or cancers of the head and neck. Um, it can put you at risk of cancer of the bladder, um, blood cancers, and also liver cancer. So what I say to people is the best thing you can do is give up the smokes. Um, and we're, we're hoping to see lots of changes along the way with the changes that the government have made around, you know, smoke-free New Zealand. And so that's what I mean by changes at the government level to do this. The be super. Um, nutrition is massive. Um, processed food, uh, red meat, high quantities of red meat, preserved food in um, salt, which is, you know, good old corned beef. Um, high volumes of this do have a connection with bowel cancer. That's a big one. Um, endometrial, uh, sorry, uterine cancer, which we've just said, and endometrial cancer. Stomach, breast cancers. Um, what we eat it matters and does affect our health. Um, like I said before, there's a big connection between weight and some cancers, particularly in uterine. And Pacific women uh, um, have more than two and a half times the risk than non-Pacific of getting uterine cancer. Yeah. Um, exercise, really important. Um, I guess with that's the connection between nutrition and weight. Um, which is why exercise is so important. Um, I read today that there's a recommendation of two and a half hours per week for um, moderate exercise, which I think is what I do. Um, and if you do high intensity exercise or play a big sport, then about an hour and a quarter is what you need to be doing a week um, to keep in that healthy range. I hope everyone heard that. <laughs> I know I'm listening to it myself. <laughs> I think they're just getting the um, shock over the be super there, but can I just <laughs> in moderation? In moderation, you're allowed a little bit of school exercise. <laughs> so some of the comments are coming up saying exercise is key and uh, eating well and exercise. Um, I belong to a, a collective called aunties, and they 
are really um, at the forefront of encouraging every day do some kind of activation. Yeah. So hearing you back that up, Doc, is really, really key. And so, yes, most definitely exercise. 100%. Yeah. Um, alcohol biggie, you know, not just liver cancer, but other cancers in the body. I'm cutting down our alcohol. The um, picture on the left is, is to talk about workplace exposure. So people mm. who work in places um, in buildings, asbestos, you've probably heard about. Yeah. Um, used all over the show, I think around the 80s, I think, or, or earlier. Um, and then we found out, hey, this isn't good for our lungs. It actually causes lung cancer, causes a mesothelioma. So things like that um, can have an impact on our risk of cancer. The um, little bacteria there in the stomach picture, that's actually something called H. pylori, which um, can lead to gastric cancer. And actually, Māori and Pacific have really high rates of this. It's often something developed in childhood, um, but left untreated. So treatments usually take three medicines for two weeks. That's how we treat it. But left untreated, it can actually lead to cancer of the stomach. And other infections, so hepatitis B can lead to liver cancer, which is why, you know, immunizations against hepatitis have been brought in. Um, and another big one, which you might be aware of, is the HPV, um, which is, can cause, it's a virus that can cause cervical cancer. And so immunizing our, our young ones, so important. We're trying to prevent them from getting these, you know, preventative cancers. And then one which is probably not too relevant to our to our community is the sun. But for fair people like me in New Zealand, we need to put on our sunscreen and be cautious. Hmm. Um, and so what are we doing? What can we do to pick things up earlier? There are mm -hmm. screening programs. So if we just flick to the next um, mm -hmm. slide, Roz. The national screening programs here in New Zealand, breast, cervical, and bowel. That's what we have going at the moment. And so... Um, it's a way of preventing cancer by picking it up early um, or stopping it from developing. So picking it up even before it becomes a cancer, as in the case of cervical cancer. Um, it's Screening is about testing people who don't have symptoms. And so if you have symptoms, that's not a category to have screening. It's for people you don't have symptoms and you're just having a check. Um, the, I think the big one I just wanted to mention was cervical cancer. Um, Cervical cancer is really slow growing, and we, by looking at the cells, um, we can see changes really early and treat them way down here before they get to the point of cancer, which is why it's so important. I think cervical cancers um, come up a lot in the press after um, the Labour MP, Kitty Allen, was yeah. diagnosed with cervical cancer, and so it's really come to the forefront. And I think one of the um, big things they're trying to push is also self-screening. Um, because who likes going for a cervical smear? It's like the worst. Um, so I think one of the big things is actually having a method to test for this HPV, so that virus, um, yourself. So doing it yourself so that hopefully we can get more people. One thing I just saw was that, you know, on the review in September 2020, only 64% of Pacific women had been enrolled to have um, cervical screening. Can I ask, there's a question that's come up. Mm. Um, can I ask, why are these ages as set as they are, like breast yeah. 45 to 69, 
cervical 25 to 69 yep. and then bowel 60 to 74. Why, so, and, and how do you come to these ages? Yeah, really good question. And so I think one point I was going to make is that, you know, screening is a really complex thing and there's harms in screening as well. Okay. So um, the flip side is if you screen too many people or, or you may pick up things which aren't there and then put people through a lot of stress, a lot of investigation and tests which aren't needed, um, there's a risk of not picking up things, so false negatives, um, not picking up something that's there, um, and there's a risk of over-diagnosis, and there's the cost. So I think all those things come into play. And so the reason why they pick these certain ages is because with the data, so they're collecting lots of data and looking at population studies, they work out who's at the highest risk of getting this cancer. And how do we make the most cost effective? It's always about, you know, there's always a costing there. It's always money. Yep. Um, the most cost effective to screen this percentage of people at this time where they have the highest risk um, to pick it up and then treat it. So those are kind of the, the things that go into, into deciding um, what ages to screen and what to screen. The thing I wanted to say is that there is some um, potential future screening programs which we're, we're hoping are on the horizon. Lung cancer, so mm. doing CT scans um, as a way of screening for lung cancer because it's such a huge problem in Aotearoa. And also screening for H. pylori for gastric cancer. Those are kind of two future ones which we see coming. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to mention is not all cancers are good candidates for screening. And that's because they're very, we don't have the right methods to pick things up. And mm. one of those is often ovarian cancer. And so often um, the symptoms are, are very vague, I guess, for women, but also what what's the best method? I mean, you don't really want to be doing lots of CTs or X-rays around women's wombs, um, which will have an impact on fertility or, you know. And so I think that's why it's so hard to find a, good screening program for the right cancer and do the right yeah, program, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, can I ask a question then? Yes, is, there, is, is there a um, a push to lower the age? I know for me, for bowel cancer, um, 60 to 74, but I was diagnosed at 51 and mm. I'm – I went into hospital previous, the year before, and they sent me home. So then, yeah, anyway. But mm. is that is that sort of like where we're at in terms with our Pacifica that, that in Māori that we should be pushing to get screening at a younger age? Yeah, I think there is. Um, there are kind of talks and thought around that is for high-risk populations, do we need to widen the screening? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's definitely something that's, you know, thought about. It just hasn't been, it's not quite at the place of expansion. But you're right. And I think that also brings up another point around people who are already at known risk of developing cancer. And this is people who may have like a family member. So if there's a certain gene that runs in families, then um, and there's syndromes that predispose people to cancer, they don't they don't come under the screening pathway. They come under a specialised pathway because they get screened a lot earlier. And so, um, yeah, things like BRCA, the BRCA mutation, for people who have the BRCA mutation in families, 
their family members would be screened earlier. Mm. Um, any other questions around that? Oh, I think like you meet, and I mean, I'm, I'm mindful of the time. Yeah, um, no, because, we, because uh, we spent, I spent 10 minutes trying to figure out how to use this app. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I, like you, you talked about um, genes mm. and that kind of stuff. If it, I mean, I can only relate to that because when I was diagnosed, I told my siblings to all get tested to go and have colonoscopies. And then in that search, my younger sister was diagnosed with colorectal, but we caught her early. Yeah. Early in the piece. And so would you recommend that if you, if someone just all, I mean, do a history search and families? To yeah, so that's something we often ask um, people. It does. So we're always thinking about that. So if we see someone who's very young and who comes, you know, a lady who comes with breast cancer or who comes with a, a specific type of breast cancer or high-risk breast, um, breast cancer, then you always think about what what's the family history. Does anyone else have cancer? Yeah. There are specific, so the, um, there are specific kind of eligibility criteria that our genetic service have. And so you, you can't gene test everyone, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And so there's specific criteria that people need to meet to, to be able to access kind of free public um, genetic screening. But I think it really is important, I think, if, if you are diagnosed with cancer, because I think one of the things I've learned um, is um, often it's hard, often, you know, a couple of generations above, we don't know what people died of. Yeah. Um, they say, oh, I think it was cancer, but I don't know, it was on the islands. Don't know what happened. She was young. She was 40, you know, and you think, gosh, it must have, you know, could have been a cancer there. Um, and so it really is valuable to share among families and to see if there's other connections with cancer because, you know, the more we're learning, the more we're discovering genes. And sometimes I think even if we don't find a gene in a certain family, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we don't know about it yet. And I think we're discovering new things all the time. And so, um, yeah, I think I would definitely agree with trying to find your family history and see if any there are any of the connections. Um, but there are definitely, I guess, the caveat to that is there are specific criteria to access the free genetic screening. Yeah. Um, I guess the last wee thing I was going to talk about was symptom awareness. Yeah. Is moving on from screening. And so the big question is, you know, what what's abnormal? What do we need to look for? Um, you know, you want to check abnormal symptoms early, but what are you looking for? And so really it depends on the type of cancer. Different cancers have obviously different symptoms. There are some general symptoms that we, we call red flags, which we worry about. And so the big one is unexplained weight loss. If someone loses a large amount of weight um, over maybe a short period of time, that's and they haven't been trying to they haven't changed their diet they're not exercising it's just kind of fallen off that's what we'd call a red flag and that would make us think um let's do some checks because wow. one of the causes is one of the big causes is cancer the other big thing i wanted to mention is pain unexplained persistent pain that's getting worse that is a red flag um and so if you think oh i've got this pain in my back you know it's it's getting worse i don't remember injuring it at all. Um, it's waking me up at night. That is a big symptom to look out for. Get mm -hmm. it. 
Um, and then there's there's um, different things depending on the cancer. So obviously breast cancer, if there's a lump in the breast, if there's changes to the skin, um, often we talk about pode orange, which is like the look of the dimpling that you see in an orange. That's what we see around the breast. Nipple changes, swellings under the armpit. Those are all kind of things you need to watch for. Um, for kind of cervical um, cervical cancer, it's things like bleeding, um, pervaginal bleeding, so unexplained bleeding, heavy bleeding, bleeding after you've gone through menopause. That's a big symptom to get checked out. Um, bleeding in the bowel, so for bowel cancer, any bleeding when you go to the toilet, you look and there's blood in the bowl. Um, it can be painless, it can be painful. If you've got tummy pain, those are things to check out. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to mention was what we call early satiety, which essentially means you get full really quickly. You eat something small and you get full really quickly is often something also to check out. Um, so those those were kind of symptoms I thought I'd mention. I think the other thing I'd say to people is you know your body best. You know, you are the expert of your body. And so if you know something's not right, you, you know, you know, have it checked. I think it's really important to have a GP or a um, you know a primary healthcare provider who you trust and who you have a good relationship, who you're you, you're happy to go and have a check, um, and and you know say some of these symptoms too. I think the the other thing I always say about appointments, either with your GP or even with specialists, you know, in the specialist setting, um, ask questions, ask as many questions as you like. Take someone, take an advocate, take a support person who's going to ask questions, one of those people who isn't shame, who's going to ask it all because it's really important to have, you know, more ears in the room to hear mm. and to draw pictures. You know, I'm a very visual person. I also like to write things, have them write it down, have them explain it. I think, you know, I always say knowledge is power. Um, and so, um, you know, that appointment is about you. Get as much out of it as you can. Um if English isn't your first language, get an interpreter. If your family member can't speak English, you know, as well as they can, make mm -hmm. sure there's an interpreter there. Um, you know, I think that's really important. Um, and so I guess just to end, you know, where to from here? Where do we take this? Um, and just with that last slide, Roz, I think the earlier the better. It's my key message. You know, that's always what we want to see. Um, I, um, we want to pick things up earlier. We want to treat them where they're in the curative setting. Prevention is key. You know, we've got to look after ourselves, but also things like advocate for bigger government changes. You know, what's what's being advertised in our community? Why is alcohol so cheap? Why isn't fruit and veg um, like not taxed? You know, we should be those things. We should be advocating and changing in our community. The importance of screening. Get our family members to screening. Take people to breast screening take them to cervical screening and recognize abnormal symptoms early and seek help. Um, I think those would be my, my key messages from today. Um, and then just uh, the last few slides have just got some helpful information and some websites. It's a lot out there, can be a bit tricky navigating, but I think one of the big ones is probably the Te Ahua Te Kahu, or Cancer Control Agency, which has recently been set up. And that's got a, a, a lot of really good data. It's also got the latest cancer um, uh, reports which are open to anyone to read so you know read them have a look through there's a big report on kind of prevention strategies and so yeah I think um, 
feel free to navigate and have a look through and and share them on and those are just some other kind of uh website specific like targeted specifically um oh yeah thanks for adding the bell cancer ros um i quite like the talk peach one as well which is kind of around gynecology types of women's types of cancer cervical endometrial that kind of thing um, but yes, that's probably enough talking from me. Um, that, that's kind of what I had to say. And, and please feel free to air, ask any questions or um, pop any on the forum if, you, if there was something we, we wanted to hear a bit more about. I think, um, I think being our very first ever Talanoa, and well, it was a bit of a bungle in the beginning. And I know I felt like I was sitting in a... Um, I felt like I was sitting in a medical medical school lecture. You know? <laughs> I I hope the young people that are out there who are listening and wanting to be uh, walk into this profession because because I didn't because I was trying to sort it in the beginning there. Um, did you mention why you became a doctor? Yes, yes. Yeah, can you just re-mention that because. I wasn't too excited. I was, was, <laughs> was going to say, so, um, I mean, really, I, I so did my schooling in Samoa, was pretty good at science, and I said, you know, often if you're good at science, you do medicine or engineering, and I thought medicine's probably more for me, um, so kind of went down that path. Um, and um, it, I guess, yeah, that was kind of how I fell into it, but have have... I can't imagine doing anything else. I think it's such a rewarding, um, a rewarding job, um, and it's it's constantly changing. I guess, mm. um, and yeah, that's probably. I think I think well I know for me because I've I've been down this road and then there's a couple of people on here, who um, I forced to tell them to come and watch, but I'm like to. <laughs> I hope that they take on board um, the information that you've, you know, shared tonight, Dr. Perilini, because they are very, you know, specific, um, you know, specific directions for us. So the acronym for the month is AWARE, which is Armed with Awareness Restores Energy. One of the comments has come on and says, good on you, Olivia, definitely rewarding in so many ways, especially during this global pandemic. The, the information that sits there uh, for us to follow through. If there's anything um, that is, you know, maybe pricked your conscience, uh, listeners, whether you're listening to this now or whether you listen to this later on um, throughout the week, please feel free to access all those places that are on the slides that um, Dr. Perilini has put together for us. Failing that, if you do need support, um, for wholeness, you know, one of the things that I felt in my journey was not to go by myself, uh, that you are, um, you have a, a right to, to discuss your treatment, that you go in with all the questions in the world that you have, because you don't know what you don't know. The other aspect of unlawful wholeness is um, the spirit side. So, you know, my faith was um, another um, factor that got me through this. And 
when you were walking through that kind of a journey, you need, well, I needed that. And that was me and my belief in the Lord and, and his word. So that all those factors come to support us when you're walking through um, an illness such as cancer. So I know uh, this is a very special evening for Dr. Perlini listeners. She is actually meant to be celebrating her wedding anniversary, but um, she came and did the show. I'm sure her husband wants to kill me because I took his darling to do an interview. So I, uh, and how many years is it now? Oh, no worries. It's four. Four years. Wow. <laughs> four years. So, you know, honey, I, I didn't um, give a background to how we met. And how we met was um, I was doing my usual visit to uh, my oncologist, Dr. George, and um, sitting in the corner was this other doctor. And he said, oh, do you mind? This is Dr. Perlini. And I looked at her and I went, she looks like a Pacific Islander. Yeah, she can stay. <laughs> And so from that from that time, wasn't that right, Olivia? From that yeah, time, um, she had sat in my appointment, and then listening to her heart for our people just drew me to her. And so then, her um, accepting this invitation, Olivia, to come and to be the very first Talanoa guest and hopefully it will be the first of many if people still come back i know i know you've been you have been really blessed to be in the position that you are in um and i do thank you that you were sitting in that room with me uh and your name is my mother's name so my mother's yeah so she passed away last year but her name is olivia which is another thing that drew me to you so i do want to thank you I want to thank you so much for giving up your um, anniversary anniversary evening to come uh, and speak to us um, and being Samoan and being brought up in Samoa and you know and also being Balangi as well. You've both worlds and then married to a Maori Indigenous, right? So you've got three pathways of cultural connections there. So you are well set. Well set to. Um, to minister the area area of healing. So Doc, and I, I pray that you know God will continue to bless you, open way more doors, that you would publish uh, your findings in a journal. I'm lifting you up, you know, and so that we can um, support you. So one of the things, listeners, is um, I'm gonna ask my guests what their favorite song what their favourite song is to find out. Because, you know, when you're sitting in these kinds of conversations, it can be quite depressing. It can be quite depressing because now everyone's going to, I know everyone's going to be running to their cupboards and throwing away the music <laughs> and uh, start, start exercising tomorrow. It can be quite depressing. But you know what? Here's the thing. It's about awareness. If you're aware, then you know, right? If you are aware about your kingo, your body, your environment, where you work, who you're with, your whole, your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, if you are aware of those things, uh, it sets you in a good place towards how our 
well-being and health, all right? So, so take all of these things on board. If you have time, go back again and listen to the doc and what she talked about, particularly around uh, symptoms and all those big medical words. Um, I don't want to hold you up anymore, so we're going to sign out now. And I said to my, I said to my guests, I want to know your favourite song. So we're going to sign out this evening with a favourite song, Dr. Olivia Perolini, Fafatayi Lava. May the Lord bless you and your husband. And what was your son's name? Hiwawa. Hiwawa. He was so cute. Uh, yeah, may he bless you and continue to watch over you as you again um, minister to the rest of our people and others that, that come along your pathway. Dr. Roz, thank you, everyone. This is her favorite song. And this is her anniversary song, so we're going to listen to it. Thanks, everybody, again. If you have any questions, feel free to, you know, write in on, on the page. And uh, I will be better next Wednesday because I now have to work the Masingi. <laughs> this is her song. Here we go.